Welcome back to our On the Cusp panel discussion. My name is Seb, and my co-hosts here are... Hi, everyone. I'm Rachel. And I'm Elena here. And we are three second-year dental students. We're teamed up with Debbie Academy, which is a student-run group that aims to educate dental students on financial and business literacy. This is our fifth episode of our new segment, and today we're delving into the world of dental photography. We are excited to introduce to this month's On the Cusp discussion, Dr. Les Kalman. Dr. Kalman received his DDS from Western University and completed his GPR also at Western. He is an assistant professor in restorative dentistry and academic lead for continuing dental education. He served on the board of directors for the University of Western Ontario Faculty Association and the Canadian Association of Public Health Dentistry. He serves on the Standards Council of Canada, the Ambassador's Circle, and Advanced Credentialing Committee for the ICOI. Dr. Kalman also maintains his position as co-founder and president of Research Driven Incorporated, a corporation that manages and translates medical technologies. Dr. Kalman is also an active researcher who focuses on innovations in medical devices and technologies, with an emphasis on metal additive manufacturing, as well as software solutions. So with that being said, let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Kalman. Hello, everyone. How's everyone doing today? Good, thank you. So Dr. Kalman, could you first maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into dental photography? This started a long time ago um, when I first got into photography. So this was before the digital camera stage. So I've actually had a photography business now for about 35 years. So it was my first business before I got into dentistry uh, with a manual camera. And I was just, I've always been a techie. I loved any gizmo, any gadget. So when digital cameras came around, uh, it was just a real eye opener. So when I got into dentistry, I try to bring all my external passions into the profession. So photography was definitely one of them. You know, it's just, uh, it's that old saying, an image is worth a lot of words. I don't even, is a million, a thousand, but anyway, um, that's kind of how um, it all started. It all precipitated. So could you walk us then through a case um, as if we were standing in a, in the room with the patient and you um, of what you would do in terms of dental photography? Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a, take us a step back and just, you know, with dental photography um, here, we're really just bringing the art and science of photography, or I like to call imagery or image capture because things have changed so much to really the art and science of dentistry. So there's so many platforms. And as dental students, I think the clinical workflow is what you probably align yourselves with. Um, but we have to kind of think of what we're going to be using photography for. So uh, is it a case study for publication? Okay, so that's going to be a totally different workflow. Uh, is it going to be maybe some promotional material for patient education so that we can help patients understand what we're doing? Um, is it something for accreditation? You know, as you graduate, you might join some organizations like the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry or the ICOI, something like that. And you're trying to showcase your cases you're going to have to have a set standard of photos. So it's really important to really differentiate, okay, what am I going to be using it with? So I think for this particular question, why don't I resort right back to what we're learning in dental school? And that would be where photography is used in a, as form of records. Okay. So when we see patients coming in, you know, it's our job to meet and greet, how you doing? And then really gather some information, right? Because they can't be in that chair all day, can they? 
So we kind of do our clinical exam. We grab our radiographs and we come up with a problem list of A and B. And it's usually perio and restorative. And then if we want to do other stuff, if we want to do things like an aesthetic smile makeover, or we want to talk to them about, you know, perhaps implant dentistry, you need more records. And so photography will fall in that category of just gathering more patient information so that you can see the patient better, communicate with the lab better so that you can come up with a more predictable and successful treatment plan. So that would be, you know, you have to kind of know, okay, what are we doing with this patient? Because if we're doing something like a small makeover, for sure, you want to get the whole face and then you want to dive in intraorally and start looking at the maxillary dentition, the mandibular dentition, the bites, things like that. So um, knowing kind of what space you're going to be playing in um, is, is key before you start dabbling in photography. So in terms of maybe the images, the image capture that we're taking in terms of angles and the type of pictures, could you maybe give us the terminology or what kind of pictures we'd be taking. I know you mentioned there are different spaces for it, but maybe just maybe an overview of that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the first and foremost, it's really important to just get a, a nice shot, a head on shot of your, of your patient. Okay. Uh, that way we kind of have everything matched up. We, we have the eyes, we have the nose, we have the facial proportions. And then I think a side view is really important as well. We see this in orthodontics a lot where we can see kind of before and afters to see where they're at. Um, and then we start the fun. Okay. We're going to retract those tissues. We're going to have them bite. We're going to have them smile. We're going to have a nice relaxed smile because as we start learning, uh, individuals that have a low lip line smile, we like those patients, okay, that hide some dentistry, but patients that have that really high lip line smile where they show maybe six to six, seven to seven, that's challenging because if we're doing things like restorative dentistry, crown and bridge, implant dentistry, the smallest flaw is going to become really obvious to our patients and the friends of our patients. So those kind of things kind of garnish um, hey, is this case going to be a simple case? Is this going to be a very complex case? And then intraorally, yeah, it's, you know, once once you've done a few of these, it comes very systematic. You know, um, I think if we have the, uh, there's a game, isn't there? We put the cheek retractors in and you try to say things. Uh, it's now, yeah. So you're going to put the cheek retractors in. You're going to really have a full view of the mouth. You're going to have them bite together, open up. You're going to do uh, probably down the buccal corridor, uh, maxillary occlusal, mandibular occlusal, where we're shooting into the mirror. And it's amazing once you get those photos together and you sit down with your patient, most patients are going to be pretty freaked out about what their teeth look like on close-up because not you know we're in the space we're used to looking at teeth um there's a lot of knowledge that we all have that uh most individuals don't so you know when you see your smile on this big screen the first thing you're like oh my goodness you know <laughs> wow okay we got some work to do so it really helps um educating the patient and then kind of building the case and seeing if the expectations can be met. So, um, you know, most courses will have kind of a bullet shot of what image you have to take and how, okay. But um, we can't forget about getting an entire picture of the patient because at the end of the day, that's what you're going to do. You're going to take a really nice picture of your finished work where they're smiling and that has some uh, like magnificent impact, right? It just, it just sells the work that we do. 
So in a, when we're talking about these different types of shots, um, I can imagine in a busy office and you have several associates and everyone trying to go through this workflow of photos and keep it consistent. Um, what's the best way to organize people on doing that? Like, does it take a training day or, you know, how, how do you get this done in an office? Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's um, if most of us are in the smartphone, iPhone space, boy, that device makes it pretty easy. Right? I mean, you just point and shoot and away you go and we're all done. Um, but when you start getting into uh, patient records, you kind of need that didactic lesson first to understand how to take photos, how to take images. Um, and then you need to practice, right? Because time in the clinic is a premium. And then the reality is, is that it's most likely going to be delegated. So again, um, I like to kind of revert back to records. When we see our patient and we're formulating diagnosis and treatment plans, if we need additional records, we bring them back. We book that time in, you know, hey, Kelman, I need you back. I need you for 20 minutes. We're going to be taking, uh, you know, 20 photos. I need your permission. Here's the fee guide, whether it's covered or not. We'll talk about that. And then you're most likely going to delegate that. But at the end of this, um, the clinician should be reviewing those images to make sure they're suitable. Because that, isn't that the worst part? When your patient's in and you kind of collected some data, whether it's an impression or a photograph, and you dismiss them, and then you go to pour up the mold and you got to redo it. That's the worst letdown. So you just want a little bit of quality control. But reality is it's going to be delegated to one of the auxiliary staff. Uh, along, along the lines of quality control, uh, what makes a good image um, in terms of maybe color accuracy or frame? I'm not, I don't know what the terminology is, but yeah, what makes a good image? Well, if, if we're showcasing our work on one of the social media platforms, I think we're looking for some nice robust impact so that they're shared and liked. The opposite is kind of true if we're working with patient records, because uh, what we're really trying to do is keep things as real life as possible. Okay, so this is not where we're tweaking them or softening them or putting filters through them. This is really true to life as we can be. Um, And that actually that's one of the requirements when you're submitting your cases for credentialing or publication is you have to give a statement that you haven't altered these. Because we all know that this day and age with software, you can tweak something to make it look like really whatever you want. So um, the key is really to have a nice. sheet that lists what your setup is. So the settings on your camera. So I'm going to be using the word camera because I don't use it interchangeably with a smart device. Um, You can, there are a lot of, you know, um, additional peripherals that you could buy like lenses and flashes. But for me with the privacy issue, um, being, you know, a hardcore photographer for most of my life, I really think an office should have a dedicated camera uh, with a memory card so that we don't have to have, you know, issues of privacy. And so you're going to pick those settings and then take those photos and you start learning the distance that you're going to be at from the patient. You know, maybe have a black background or a white background in the office where that's a dedicated spot for taking headshots of the patient. Um, You're going to start learning instantly to recline the patient. And now you're going to be shooting into the mirror, not into the occlusal surfaces when we're taking those maxillary and mandibular occlusal views. So those little tricks. 
Um, this would be one where you would type things out and you'd laminate it and you'd have it there because we've probably all know in the clinical workflow, it's real easy to get frazzled. Okay. You know, if you've taken a PA and you're missing it for the fifth time, the sixth time we're starting to lose our cool. The same thing goes with photography. Um, so you just want to kind of establish those kind of parameters um, and almost have like a little cheat sheet. So what I actually do in one of the courses, I'll just have all the little images as thumbnails on a little laminated sheet so that people know this is your typical one. It would be more of the all-inclusive, and then you can just delete the ones that you wouldn't want. But Dr. Kalma, you mentioned kind of really what goes into taking a photo. It's not just, you know, grab the camera and go. And in that respect, do you think that dental photography is being underutilized a lot, maybe in private practice or clinics, or there's certain aspects of dentistry where it's being used probably more than we would expect? That's, I mean, that's a great question. You know, um, I find honestly, the, the picture just does so much justice. So um, when you start getting into reading treatment records and you're reading many of these, um, it can be arduous. And remember, we're trying to use our imagination to what someone's saying, okay, patient came in, crown is fractured to the gum line, blah, blah, blah. But if you have an intra or even an intraoral photo and you see that included with that record, you get that visual, ah, okay, I get it now. Totally makes sense. So um, I personally think it's underutilized and the tech is so readily available. You know, nowadays you can buy a really good mirrorless or mirror DSLR, great lenses, intraoral cameras are really affordable. It's pretty simple. So again, remember back in my day, and just for a second, imagine this, that you would have to buy film and then put film in a dark room in your camera. And then you wouldn't be able to see those images that you took. And then you'd have to wind the film up and take it to the film processor, wait like 10 days to get it back. And then you get an envelope and then you'd open them up and see if any turned out. Well, now it's on the back of your camera. You can actually see, you can zoom in and see. So it's it just makes it so simple that I think it should be used a lot. You know. Um, Patient, like we talked about, patient education, diagnosis and treatment planning. Uh, if you see a lesion and you're not sure of, you know, put the periodontal probe next to it, take a documentation and time so that we have a nice static image of what's going on there. Communicate that to the oral medicine department. Um, patient motivation. Okay, here's when they first came in before we started doing scaling and root playing. Wow, look at that soft tissue now. Nice pink, coral, resilient. You've come a long way, Kelman. You know, I just think that it... Because we're so used to being in the oral cavity, we take for granted that not everyone is, you know, like sometimes people come in with a, a broken tooth and you say, hey, when did you break the one behind this one? What is that one broken too? I didn't even know. So um, it's just a great form of communication I think should be utilized more. So now that maybe we've talked about um, the different ways that we would apply the photography, could you give us just a couple specifics on maybe the type of camera or lenses or flashes um, and some basic settings that we should maybe understand? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, being, being a tech junkie, I don't have the best of everything, though. I want to be very clear about that. So that's where maybe I would caution people is um, try not to go out and get the newest, the best, the highest quality because these cameras are computers. They're very, very sophisticated. Okay, it's kind of like having a Lamborghini. Okay, if we had a Lamborghini, we're just driving it to school. We're really not utilizing all the horsepower and all the traction. So, you know, you don't want to buy a, a $6,000 body 
if it if a five hundred dollar body can do. So I think um, just a really good body is nice. I like the mirrorless because they're very compact and light. Because when you start getting into the DSLRs, they're heavy. You know, um, there's uh, as long as you have some sort of lens that has an LED, like an LED light adaptability. So it doesn't have to be, you know, dual flashes on either side. I know a lot of purists are like that. But again, if we're delegating to our auxiliary, we want to make it simple for them to use, right? It's got to be grab and go. So, uh, you know, I've been a Canon fan for years. Um, they, they actually had a model out that had its own macro lens with a built-in LED light. It's phenomenal. We use that for most of the things we've done. Um, so as long as you have a, a great mirrorless body, you have a pretty good lens with some sort of macro ability and some sort of external LED light. And I prefer the light over the flash. That's kind of my take home message because that way the camera has some time to adjust things. Um, and as long as we have that kind of set up and it's ready to go, um, it's, it's a no brainer. The important part to remember though, and we, we touched on it a bit is the workflow. So if you're taking images, don't leave hundreds and thousands of images on that camera body and then sit down kind of twice a year and go through them and go, oh boy, yeah, I don't know who these are. You have to get in a way of kind of removing those images off that camera and figuring out a way to kind of identify or itemize what those photos were and then categorizing them right away so that you can add to them, you know, pre-treatment, post-treatment, that kind of stuff. So that part, in my opinion, is much more challenging than grabbing a camera and taking a couple of photos. Um, the other little bit I'll add for those mirrorless, um, a lot of those mirrorless cameras, the back of the screen, the LCD is a touchscreen, just like your phone. So you can actually tell it where to focus by touching the back of the screen to take a photo. I know that sounds really obvious and why wouldn't it? But a lot of DSLRs are not like that. So you'll still look through the little um, eyepiece and it randomly starts picking what, what point it wants to focus. Now, if you're working on a six to six and you need that Hoarian zoom and it accidentally focused in on the one six instead of the one one, your one one's totally blurry. It just ruined that whole appointment. So those are the little tricks over the years that we've learned. Trust me, we've been through a lot of them. So, you know, let our kind of challenges uh, try to help everyone out as we're moving forward. Yeah, I'm personally a fan of um, the, the mirrorless cameras and I think ease of use. Um, I also know that for the, the mirrorless systems, there are some advantages over the traditional DSLRs in terms of the ISO and all of that. Um, but I think with some of these cameras now, in terms of transferring images right away, because they have Bluetooth or the, the transfer features, you can quickly just have it pop up on any adjacent screen. It's, I think that will make it a lot easier for all of us. <laughs> what you mentioned is actually just the best because what you can do is you can put in a little wireless card and then you can transmit it to a tablet. So, you know, you're, you could have it if your auxiliary shooting and you can tell them how it's working. And the nice part is with my Canon, you can actually change the settings through the tablet as well. So if the ISO is off or the exposure is off, um, we should touch based on that just a little bit as well, because I think that was one of the questions you asked. So I'm a big fan of shooting manual. I never shoot automatic. And, you know, really similar to, um, you know, taking an impression. And if they're always working out, 
you can't really appreciate when one doesn't work out. You know, now I'm talking more like fixed pros, but if we get to the stage where you take an impression and the lab calls you and says, listen, this is no good. You have to be able to look at it and say, oh, this is what went wrong. I like the same philosophy in photography where you have an appreciation for what ISO is and what effect it has on the image or shutter speed. You know, when if we're working and we're nervous, believe it or not, we're all shaking a little bit. OK, so if that shutter speed is not quick enough, our little hand shaking is enough to give us some blur. And same with the patient. They're nervous, right? They're getting there. Their teeth are going to be prepped. So those are the things that you, you know, there are like maximum minimums you want. And of course, aperture, you know, we, we typically want most of the teeth to be in focus. So those are really the three kind of pillars that we work with. Um, and there's all sorts of really cool simulators out there online. That if I think the Canon has a simulator. If you just Google it, you can start playing. And after you take about 20 or 30 shots, it's going to hit. It's like, okay, this totally makes sense. This is what ISO will tweak. This is where shutter tweaks. And then you'll have a better appreciation. So I really recommend shooting manually. And then if an image comes back that's not correct, you know how to rectify the problem. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like I... I feel that I get that um, this control that you have over the over the system and being able to man manipulate it how you want, and um, that comes with practice, right? So I'm just wondering, let's say when we graduate, do you know um, some good go-to resources, or is there any C courses out there for for people like us or inspiring photographer maybe that we should follow? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, social media has a ton of them and they're all amazing, whether they're shooting with drones or DSLRs or 360 cameras is pretty amazing. So, you know, do a little scroll there. I think there's a lot of folks in the uh, dental photography space that are showcasing some amazing work they're doing. So you can pick up some tips from them as well. And I think they're really receptive to comments and things like that. Photography is one of those things, I think it's like, it's like riding a bike and snowboarding or anything like that, where you really got to get up to practice. And then once you got it, you got it. You know, you once you have the fundamentals and basics down, they just don't go away. All right. Um, but really, you know, you want to enjoy shooting, you know, so I don't know if anyone's aware, but I do a lot of um, uh, motorsport photography for motorcycle racing. And if you want to talk about some challenging photography, it's, you know, when a bike is going past you at... 260 kilometers an hour and you're trying to do a pan shot and hope it works out. Um, to me, that's a new challenge that I want to rise to, but um, I just want to keep building my photography skills. And so get out there and try to use them. Um, in terms of C CDE and CE, it's funny you mentioned that we're just working on a course now through our CDE. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, and just a quick Google search, but I think you should have a hands-on component. OK, uh, there's I think there's, you know, if you sign up for Canon or Nikon, they will have all sorts of little um, free technical lectures and things like that. But in terms of using things like retractors and contrasters for dentistry, where you're working with some different um, materials that might really be bouncing back some of the light, you know, some zirconia or lithium disilicate. Those are the ones where you want to be practicing and you'd like to bring in your own camera, really. Right. Because, again, you want to get used to your equipment, you know, but um, yeah, a quick Google search for some of those things that help, but keep your eyes peeled through our CDE and we'll have something coming up very shortly. Great. I'm excited. <laughs> Maybe we could already go to the, uh, where we think the future of dental photography is going. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> Where's the future of dental photography going? Oh boy. Um, so uh, first of all, the technology just with plain old, you know, single use cameras, you know, like I'm talking, taking a picture. Um, they've just become so advanced, you know, uh, they're remarkable in what they do. You can tell them what they do. You can do it. It's after we talked about smartphones, how amazing they are coming along. Um, I really think if we talk about imagery instead of photography, we can start really talking about things like um, 360 cameras, where now you can start bringing in things like uh, virtual reality. These are really cool for patients to see um, office tours, for them to see how the office is and what the layout is. I think it's really cool in the waiting room. Um, there's so many apps now that really piggyback on photography to let us see things in a different light. So for instance, we mentioned dental photography, but we've, we're really just talking about photos, but we haven't talked about things like infrared cameras, you know, or thermal imaging, you know. You'll start to realize that in dentistry, we do the best we can with the tools we have. So, you know, our clinical judgment, our clinical exam, our interaction with the patient, and then we start utilizing tech. You know, if we're going to be taking two-dimensional radiographs to see how something is, or we're going to be taking a CBCT for the three-dimensional, you know, bone structure and heart tissue structure, there's so many new things coming down the pipeline um, that would help us see the patient in a different light. And I use thermal imaging uh, because we haven't touched on that much in dentistry. So um, looking at things with a temperature signature, has everyone seen that Predator movie? Do you know what I'm talking about? Am I dating myself if I'm saying that? Okay. Yeah, I know. I've seen that. <laughs> it's, it's the best, right? Because it's, you know, he sees everything in thermal and it's really neat. Um, different aspects of medicine and science use that routinely, but we haven't seen that in dentistry at all until now. So we'll be launching our new app in literally a couple of weeks where it's actually called DTA, Dental Thermal App. So we're going to be using um, the thermal signature to help with our kind of information gathering, not just with the patient, but with other things. You know, for instance, um, anyone walk through the, well, I guess not since the pandemic, but pre-pandemic, if you'd walk through the clinic floor, sometimes you'd smell the smell of a tooth burning. Someone forgot to put on their water. So little things like that, where if, you know, in an educational setting or a clinical setting, it just gives us a little more information, even with patient management. So the future, yeah, um, I think for sure, connected oral health care with the use of new peripherals so that teledentistry is increased so that areas that have difficulty with access to care is improved so that oral health disparities are maybe leveled out a little um, making those things affordable and predictable. Um, I think we already chatted a little. Everyone's got a really good web camera right now, but you know, if someone has a, doesn't have access to a device or they have a very poor web camera, it's going to make that interaction very difficult for teledentistry if you're interacting with a patient. So I, I'm predicting that down the road, we're going to have a lot of at-home care tech that really helps with the teledentistry part. So um, where that's going to go, I have no idea because I didn't know that we'd be doing at-home COVID tests this soon. You know, this is remarkable. You know, a year ago, 
very different space than already now. Um, and I was at CES recently and Abbott was one of the keynote speakers there. And they're the ones that have one of the at-home tests and who knew that they would be that reliable and that amazing, right? So I think things will start moving very rapidly in that space. Yeah, this gets me excited. <laughs> Super exciting time, it really is. Yeah, I can even picture just, you know, if we could have our intraoral scans sent to our, our patients so they could like interact with it somehow or any, any of these ideas where it gets the patients interested in their mouth and hygiene. I think that would be a cool direction too. <laughs> You're hitting, yeah, you know, monitoring, right? This temporal aspect, you know, um, we tend to go to the doctor, like the medical doctor, when we got a problem, right? Well, yeah, physicals once in a while, but you know, you really go when you have a problem. I think that's, if we can change that with dentistry where we kind of empower the patient so that if there's something there, they can kind of document it, grab an image capture and we can keep an eye on things. And if we can intervene earlier, it's a win-win for everyone. You know, cause the last thing we want to do is you know, whether we get to a tooth that's so late, we have to have it extracted or a tooth that's abscessed and now they have to be put on antibiotics or the hospital, but giving them the tools so that we can kind of intervene as quick as we can. That, uh, that's going to be an exciting time. Ooh, I did want to hear about um, what we could uh, put, if the fee guide covered photography or anything like that. I think you mentioned that earlier. I was curious. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're, I'm not going to open it up, but I think there is something in there. But remember, here's, here's the deal when you have your patients come in. Um, being self-regulated, we get to decide what records we need. You know, so what, what records do you need for sealants? Really nothing, right? You do a clinical exam, you need sealants, come on in. But if, if, especially in the early parts of your career, if you need those records to help diagnose the treatment plan, then you, you, put, you tell the patient, this is what I need, X, Y, and Z. Here's the cost. Because we do what we do regardless of that. And then we send it off to insurance. Whether that makes or breaks the deal is going to be up to the patient relationship. But we should be getting into that habit where um, we keep the bar high. You know, we need the information that we need so that we can have that conversation with the patient about expectations, you know, um, about, oh, what kind of cases? This is a simpler advanced should I be doing this case or should I be referring this case or maybe partially referring this case? It's those things that um, prevent that stress ball for dentistry. You know, we had that magical crystal ball, but it's those things that, you know, if you're, here's the if your patient's already gagging with the cheek retractors in for photography, are you really going to be doing a six unit anterior bridge on them with a full mouth impression? Probably not. Right. So it's those little clues that help us along the way to figure out, should we do the case? Should we refer the case? What's the best for my patient? Okay. I should have dropped my voice down. I, I don't know why I kept it high, but I should have dropped <laughs> it down. But yeah, that's, that's the end goal is really doing what's best for our okay. patients. So, Dr. Kalman, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about dental photography, or should I say dental image capturing? <laughs> um, uh, we've also um, discussed a little bit about your research, but if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about that now, um, go for it. Yeah, so I briefly touched on it. So in the connected oral healthcare, um, 
we have a couple of apps that are out there now. One that will just be launching the Dental Thermal app, which we're pretty excited about. And the reason for that is we just have the support of one of our partners. So that was pretty amazing. And then we'll flip the page and we're actually in the additive manufacturing. So this is a 3D printing space. And we've been playing quite a bit in there. Uh, we've been playing with um, metal additive manufacturing. So looking at things like implant bars. So instead of the traditional way of milling it from a disc, literally adding it uh, kind of particle by particle. So a very different workflow, a very um, quicker, faster, less expensive, which opens up the accessibility. We've also been looking at that additive manufacturing and hold on to everything, hold on to something because we've been looking at it at zirconia. So now we can 3D print zirconia. And we're really fortunate to work with our amazing partners out of Switzerland called Lithos. And that is pretty remarkable. And then the last bit I'll fill you in on, we just had this published about uh, three or four months ago. We During all this additive manufacturing space, it's a very, very different workflow. And I don't know if you guys ever watch any of the cooking shows and things like that, but I'll watch one of those cooking shows and I'm blown away because I can barely heat up a slice of pizza. I'll get it wrong. But what I'd love watching from these shows is when they disrupt things or they, you know, deconstruct something, they just do it differently. So we started playing around with additive manufacturing and what we started looking at was indirect onlays. And the workflow that we had literally bypassed the entire digital design space, like completely took it out of the equation. And we still had a predictable and successful restoration. So in your typical digital workflow, you're going to do image capture where you have the patient's dentition or the tooth. And then you're going to have to design a restoration. Maybe it's a crown. Maybe it's an onlay. That takes time. That takes a lot of time and it's open to some subjectivity where the margins are. And then we move on to the things like uh, CAD-CAM milling and then cementing it. What we've done is we've actually bypassed that entire digital design step. So I think that's going to have a pretty big impact on the industry because, again, if we can save time, we can do more dentistry, especially in the clinic and through education and we can make it more accessible to patients. And then they have the opportunity to have this treatment that, you know, is not always affordable for everyone. And then the last bit we can't forget about planet Earth, right, is if we go through this route that saves time and money and material, we might have a more sustainable approach. And I think we can all agree, dentistry is not the greenest of the profession. So anything we can do to kind of limit the, you know, the, the environmental issues, I think is a win-win. And that's it. That's my research in a nutshell. So when you're talking about bypassing a lot of digital planning, I'm just trying to picture um, how you're doing that. I can send you the article. Once you read it, it'll really fit in there. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's so interesting though, because I got into, I got into um, digital design back in, I think, 2005, 2004 or five, something like that when it was first there. I think there was only a couple of us that had, um, they weren't Cerax, they were E4D, which was a company that's different now. But anyway, you have to have your training. And so I was always very fascinated with, it was so cool, right? You digitally design everything and it hasn't really changed in almost 17, 18, 20 years. So it's time, I think, that we really start looking at that process and figure out if it's necessary, right? Remember the film we talked about with camera? Like when digital cameras came along, nobody thought they were gonna be here forever. We thought it was just a short-lived fad. And look, no one has a 
film camera anymore. It's just what we do. These cameras on our phones are so amazing. So I think we'll start looking at maybe reducing that and then combining it things like machine learning and AI to help us really uh, give, give the patient the best restoration. But I'm happy to share that link or uh, send you guys that article. That would be great. Yeah. We actually, um, <laughs> we gave you a little shout out in our article on um, 3D printing that we put out a couple of weeks ago. We uh, talked about you printing zirconia and all that. So um, maybe we'll have to have another chat with you about that aspect. Um, yeah. If you guys want a quick update. So, you know, whenever you're in this, here's the thing that just happens. This could be off the record. This is no problem. Um, when you're working on something that kind of goes against what's typically done, you're going to get a lot of haters. It's, it just, it happens. Okay. It's something's new is not always something better. You know, listen, I've done this like this for 20 years. Why would I do it your way? And then you have to talk about, you know, all the advantages, not just about patient care, but time effort. So, um, we are, we were just, we just were awarded an AAID grant. So that's the American Academy of Implant Dentistry. And we're going to be working with lithos again. And now we're doing implant bars printed in zirconia. So the fact that we were successful with the grant, and by the way, it's me, that's, that's the team. <laughs> and I'm just saying that because, you know, it's not like, you know, it's not a team of 10 or anything, but the fact that the AAID saw value in our research solidified that we're on a good path, but it takes a while to get there because if I would have done this two years ago, they would have said, no grant, you know, this is ridiculous. Why are you working on that? And that's some of the feedback you get from the reviewers. So when we worked on the DTA app, um, same thing, we applied for a grant and the reviewers comments were downright harsh. This is ridiculous. Who would think this is possible? This takes 10 years to get done. It doesn't at all. I mean, you can get it done really quick. So it's aligning yourself with those like-minded individuals. And you guys probably have realized that by now, right? Maybe when you said you want to do this podcast, everyone, you know, maybe weren't fully supportive, but you got to surround yourself with those like-minded individuals and that's going to help you excel and take everything to the next level. Yeah, that's definitely what we've discovered in this process. And it's been fun to reach out to uh, people who are so immersed in digital dentistry that they you know, it feels like they're 10 years ahead and everything. Um, so anyways, it's, it's building excitement for us. That's for sure. <laughs> good, good. And you need that too, especially in this day. Like the two years have been yeah. tough, right? Um, for, for everyone. And so you have to find a nice positive distraction to keep that focus and keep you evolving for sure. My research has just saved me for real. My wife is telling me I got to stop doing so much because, you know, it's it's not a nine to five as you guys are probably aware, um, but sometimes it's consuming. What a good consuming anyway. So, Dr. Kellman, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here with us today on the podcast. We've definitely learned a lot about this space in dentistry and the future sounds so exciting. So we can't wait to keep learning more. And if anyone's interested in learning more about On The Cusp, we have the link in our Spotify episode description, as well as on the On The Cusp page on the Debbie website.